the competitive 40k network presents art of war art of war strategy and tactics discussions with the best players on the planet now your host nick nanavani Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nandavadi, and this week we are joined by a special guest of ours, Nassim Fushane from the UK. How are you doing, Ness? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Ness is a phenomenal player from the UK, making the UK WTC team, winning Adepticon over here in the States, one of my favorite stomping grounds tournaments. And uh, overall, he is a phenomenal player and a fantastic human. So I'm very excited to be talking to him today. How are you doing, Ness? Doing great. I'm excited to talk all things God and uh, tell people how uh, manticores are very good. (laughs) That's that's exactly what we're here to talk about today. Uh, In part one of this two-part show, we're going to be talking about Astra Militarum, an army that has not been on the top of anyone's tongue until very recently when the Fireside podcast came out and they talked about how Astra Militarum is in their tier list as S-tier. That's stirred up a lot of controversy on the internet. Nass, a member of Team Ignite, is here to shed some light on what he thinks of the Astra Militaire Menace, this lowly little index and how they are one of the strongest armies in the game post-balance status late, even after taking a nerf to their manticores. That's what we're going to unpack. We're going to get to know Nas. We're going to get to know his play style. We're going to get to know the menace that is Astra Militarum. And then in part two, for our subscribers on AOW40K.com, you can become a patron for six bucks a month. You'll get access to this episode along with 200 plus other episodes. And this week's episode, we're going to go into how it works, like the actual guard list that are kicking ass at the tournaments and how they play, what moves they make, what strats they use, how they approach the matchups, and how you yourself can be an Astra Militarum player like Nassim. Perfect. One thing I will correct before we go any further. Believe it or not, I'm not a member of Team Ignite. They would be lucky to have me. I'm great friends with all of them. Um, play with them consistently, but I'm not a part of their team. I'm running my own team, the War Masters, over here in the UK. Uh-huh, I appreciate that correction. They're they're lucky to have you, as you said. You're too good for them. <laughs> Exactly. I'm too good for them. We're going to go with that narrative. I like it. <laughs> so while we're talking about narratives, talk to me about how Astra Militarum is a good army. Like, what is that? Yeah. So I guess we're to get started. Um, so pre-slate, you know, you had the two big dogs, um, well, the two undisputed big dogs and the third rising big dog with Necrons. Uh, being the Ryzen ones, we've kind of taken Hypercrypt, having won the two largest events for singles um, recently between LBO and Nottingham. Um, and you had the classic Eldari and CSM Menace. And um, Guard into all three of those matchups actually had uh, a a game, which is more than what most of our of, armies of, um, could say. Uh, had a, it has a decently good winning matchup into Necrons. A uh, bit iffy with the Canoptic Court, but again, it's vice versa. Uh, pretty good game vis CSM, unless they took their curse build. Uh, Manny's building he took to the Worlds. And had a pretty good win rate against Odari, believe it or not. It was uh, always fancy my odds against them. Um, and now post late with, uh, I guess, to keep it brief, where a lot of their, I guess you could say, rivals got, you know, knocked down a peg or two um, with Eldari and CSM. There's not really much out there anymore that is a out-and-out straight counter to guard. Um, it's quite flexible with what you can do with them. Um, so they postly, even though their army, if you took triple manticore, went up 90 points, it's kind of a buff when you really think about it. You're just paying the 90-point tax to kill all of your opposition, which is, you know, something I'll take any day of the week. 
So you're loving the Manticores, which is interesting because a lot of the guard players we've had over on the podcast in the past didn't even run them. They go for the more mobile style of Astrobel Terum. We're definitely going to unpack that. I know that's going to be a hot take still running the Manticores. <laughs> um, but what I think is really fascinating is you've hit the nail on the head, right? The power level of the meta has overall come down. See, mm-hmm. some and Eldar have gotten kneecapped to a degree, and mm-hmm. uh, Necrons are still what they are. Uh, but maybe you have the, the sauce to kill them with your Lehman Russes and your Manticores and whatnot. What I think is really fascinating, though, is that this is such an unassuming out-of-nowhere army to be focused on, right? Like, there's the entire meta. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets this big shakeup. Astra Militarum get a nerf compared to, like, other factions who are literally getting buffs over here. And, you know, why give them the moment in the sun or the chance to really um, shine here? Like, where, where does that belief come from? Are you a longtime guard player? Well, um, I, what, I, what I can say is I did start out the game with guard. Did not do well, but it's probably a discussion for another day. <laughs> but um, no, I've always had guard in the background. Uh, mommies have got me into the game. Just a lot of guns. And you know me, Nick. You know how I like, I, I like my guns. I like my ranged attacks. Um, so I, I, I definitely have a bit of history with guard. I took them in ninth as well when their codex dropped um, for a brief duration when Kasukin were really, really, really good. Um, and yeah, I'm more, I guess you could say right now, of a player who enjoys all things ranged attacks and really understanding which damage, which weapon profiles to take against what in the current meta. Um, and God has the flexibility of that. It has essentially every single damage profile you can kind of ask for in their, in, in their index. So let's talk about that. I think that's a really interesting segue. You describe yourself as a person who likes ranged attacks. What, what a play style. You like to shoot people off the table. My favorite. So, Amen. Hey, you've got these Tau <laughs> Crisis suits. You've got your Elder Wraith Knights and your Wraith Guard. And, and now you're saying Guard. So what is what is being a shooting player in today's game entail? Especially because where you play, you play with a lot of UKTC and WTC mm-hmm. terrain. Those boards mm-hmm. can be... Um, well, WTC can be very dense, and UKTC mm-hmm. has certain specific angles and certain specific staging points. Mm-hmm. So how do you, as an Astro Milton player, or any, any style of shooting player in today's modern, fast-paced, midfield objective combat meta, navigate your army? Yeah, so I think you kind of touched a little bit of the problem there for any, I guess you could say, like the one, like one of the few things that stops any good gun line out there really is those fast melee armies that are able to stage hyper efficiently and you being unable to essentially what is dig them out of their little L's or um, little pockets. So I think that's definitely important go like as just fundamentally when you play a predominantly, uh, you know, ranged attack army, uh, like a, a gun line, uh, as we say, um, rather than having an army that is more close combat is you need to have the ability to at least one be able to move block key assets of the board where the melee like the melee counter well essentially the melee army isn't able to just run deep into your guts uh, for the lack of a better phrase and be able to dig them out right be able to send resources trade somewhat efficiently be able to move block but realistically remove those key resources and one of the best things in the in the game to do that has predominantly always been indirect or flyers now flyers are not what they used to be oh, thank god for that i hope it stays that uh, way yeah, i'm all happy about that one <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have no one is upset that's fine 
But the other one is indirect. And if you've noticed, Nick, in the re- re- recent um, data slaying, the re- recent changes, they've nerfed all forms of indirect, regardless of what it was. It's all taken a point to increase spinners, the manticores for guard, even, right. even the humble whirlwind never did anything. Game-wide indirect nerf, absolutely. Yeah. Except Fate Weaver. Fate Weaver got his indirect abuffed. He went down 15. What a boy. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, but poor Fate Weaver. He probably needs it. I don't know if we'll see him, but he probably needs it. Um, bless his heart. Um, but yeah, so like you have that, and so indirect is just one of those things that is essentially, well, it's unavoidable damage, right? It's you're gonna uh, if if you're unable to reach the indirect piece, that indirect piece is gonna shoot you for five turns of the game, and that's five turns of the game that's gonna accumulate value. It may not pay back its point in a shooting phase or two, but it sure as hell will in three, four, and five. Right. It's so you have that. Everyone knows how great indirect is, right? It's uninteractable. It's blowing you up. You're dying and you can't stage behind walls against it. So is the back of your whole argument like Manticore is still awesome guard for the win? Well, Manticore's are definitely still awesome. I I, I definitely think there's builds for guard out there that will be pretty damn good, even without the indirect pieces. But that's a whole separate discussion. Um, But Right now, Manticores for their price points going up from one fifth for one fifty to one eighty. They're still very good and are still a core part of God. Um, how they started out in the index at one hundred and five points, I will never know. Um, seventy seventy five points later, and we're still taking free. Um, so it it just goes to show, right? Like the profile on the Manticore is hyper efficient into essentially what is most of the game. Like it's very good recently infantry because it's damage damage free. Uh, a lot of elite infantry like custodies, like eight bound terminators, etc. Like Wraith God, how we see before, might not see them as much now. All free wind infantry, all predominantly, all, all predominantly anywhere between toughness five to seven, um, which means the Manticores wins those profiles on twos to threes. And the good thing about Guardian Direct, which is unlike a lot of the indirect in the game, is that you can buff it significantly. Um, to the point where it can hit on twos, reroll ones without having to see its target, essentially. As God have multiple ways to ignore the indirect penalty via uh, spotting with a centered, with a scout sentinel or using the expert bombardier stratagem so that you ignore the indirect penalty so it's not there. Plus orders, plus heavy. You can really get your indirect pieces to, one, not do, well, essentially one, to do significant damage, but two, to also be hyper-efficient with that damage. And the fact that they're also strength 10 means a lot of vehicles in the game, at least transport variants, which what combat armies use to push up the board, predominantly anywhere between T8 to T9, which means manticores get to win it on freeze. And then being damage free, when you get shot by when you get shot by two manticores, sometimes even one, you can pop that transport and then be able to start shelling the contents inside, start shooting the contents inside of some of your other key pieces, and all of a sudden. The melee army starts to run off steam. They they run into your screens, kill your screens, and then you get to bring your screens back, which is one of the, well, I say screens. You're able to bring those units back uh, in guard due to reinforcements. So you end up not really trading anything apart from a little bit of board position, but not really when you consider the fact when you bring your units from strategic reserve and are able to whittle down your opponent's resources incredibly fast because of your efficient damage profiles. Makes perfect sense. Basically, indirect fire shoots you behind the walls. You're the, it's a very specifically great profile at killing the mm-hmm. elite infantry of the world, the three wound custodies, the eight bound, the chosen, anything like that. And it's specifically capable of killing transport vehicles really well too. So it's like indirect fire that you can't just tank by being tough. 
for the e traditional stats. Exactly. And God also has multiple ways of buffing the damage output via extra AP. Um, whilst now with the changes, you can have, you, you can essentially have plus three AP visa target with the stratagem, doing it once and then doing it again for free with Creed, which is stupid. Um, and Hellhounds for ignore cover or like whichever ways. Like there's multiple ways to buff your indirect, just buff your entire army with specific units. So I've been on the receiving end of a guard triple manticore more than once in my life, and it is pretty terrifying. Your manticores can pop off on any turn, you roll a bad round of saves, your life is just potentially over right then and there in your own deployment zone, especially if you go second. But oh, the flip side Nassim, mm -hmm. is always what happens when you are going second as the guard player. You know, your opponent gets a good start, they're staged up in the ruins, it is basically... <clears throat> manticores versus the world and you can set up your move blocks and whatever but you're never going to really hold midfield primary as long as they're alive back there and they're, they're just going to accrue points until your manticores table them and you know i've played enough games with exorcists to know that sometimes indirect fire just sucks and you don't kill mm -hmm. anything so mm -hmm. when, when you're in those kinds of situations is there a fallback plan or are you just trusting the numbers well there's there's definitely a fallback plan because if your whole plan game plan relied on I need my indirect to kill my opponent's armies, then they wouldn't like indirect wouldn't be as good as it is, at least not for guard. But one of the beauties of guard is that you have a few data sheets in essentially in, in like that you can run that are hyper efficient and are well I, I wouldn't say hyper efficient, but are efficient at playing the midboard. You have stuff like Borgren, which are very, very resilient. There's a lot of melee in in the game. Um they are toughness six with a four up in one, three wins each, and uh, minus one damage and a six up fill no pain. Um, and you can take six of those for 160 points. So, you know, pretty good points value when you really think about it. Under 30 points per model, I think around 26 something, so something ridiculous. And they're not, and they start pretty good in combat. They're decent at killing Marines, nothing crazy. But you're, so what you're able to do is you're able to combine. The indirect plus so, things like Borgren moving up, killing the contents, charging the contents, and guard have something which is more powerful than a lot of armies because they do not have access to it, which is uh, your OC manipulation. Because you're able to give orders in the command phase in either command phase, if you use a stratagem in your opponent's command phase, in your own command phase, you're able to order your units and Borgrens for additional OC, which means it's easier to flip objectives and deny that primary, which is talking about in, uh, in the accruing points, or you're able to essentially take, you get charged, you get charged on your own objective when you're trying to hold that midboard. You less it, use three models, but all of those models that you have there, if they're OC1, you can double the dose, or you can double the OC, essentially. Stuff like those Borgren or, or Kasekin. If you people charge a Kasekin and you have five Kasekin left, four Kasekin left that were on a point, and your opponent has like five OC, usually they've taken a objective from you. But what they can do is you can order yourself additional OC, and all of a sudden you have better leadership, better OC, and that primary is actually yours rather than your opponent's. And their push has not worked. Um, so there's you, you, you have the assets to push up the midboard via units like Bogun and units like Bogun and Kaskin, and also the transports, because guard transports are still pretty durable for their price and decently cheap. Um, so it's not just a plan of, I guess, I hope my manticores kill you. Um, it's my manticores are going to kill you. How fast are they going to do it? Can my midboard hold off your midboard whilst you get shot by not only manticores, but Kasukin, which are really good vs. marine profiles and really good vs. Um, um, small infantry profiles. And can they also survive the tank commanders shooting them? Because there's also tank commanders in the list. 
So talk to me about these Kazakhan. They're a unit that I think a lot of players are sleeping on. I know they've only come onto my radar in the past month or so, so I really want to make sure we get a, a grip of how absurd these things are. Yeah, so essentially, just to run you through the Kazakhan profile, uh, what they do is they scout move six, which is important because it helps you um, derm and Karachans and scout sentinels all have the scout keyword, which means you know if you're able to go first or second, you still have a element of board control and element of staging, which is quite important um, for guard, um, especially if you go second, uh, even better if you go first. Um, they, with the loadout that I run them in, they have two mounted guns each. Um, they have two plasma guns, one plasma pistol, one sniper, one melter mine, which I'll touch on in a moment about what it does, and then three, essentially three ablative wounds. Uh, we know what plasma guns do, we know what melter guns do, uh, what the melt mine does is actually quite interesting. Is at the start of any phase, um, pardon me, at the start of any phase, when a enemy unit is within three inches of the of the melt mine model, on a two up, they take different model wounds. However, if they're something like a vehicle, they take two different model wounds. So if you're playing with those armies that need to stage with vehicles, etc., you you can move forward, two different model wounds plus a grenade. You're doing an average of seven model wounds to a vehicle. And then you can actually have the Kaskin, because what the Kaskin do is also their ability, which is also very important, is they are able to order themselves in the command phase, which is super important because that means they're not reliant on your command structure and being super close to your army. They can act independently, have the complete flexibility of having whichever order they want, and they can have an additional order on top of the order that they currently have. So they can take up to two orders. And what you usually find is you take the extra movement, so they move nine, and you either take the plus one to hit, the additional OCN leadership, the extra save to make the middle more durable. So they're a complete flex piece that you can use. And when they die, if you have two CP, you can bring them back and put them into strat reserve. And also, when you're in strat reserve, because their ability is in the command phase, and you can use abilities when you're in strat reserves, because, they're, or because their ability doesn't specify a range, it means they can, be, they can essentially order themselves in the command phase. And when they come in from reserves, they can have an order on them. So if you're trying to go for a, I guess I say, a risky nine or a charge, you can double that OC. All of a sudden, those 10 models are 20 OC. That's gonna, if they make a charge, it's going to take in one off an objective and then take damage from an auto mine. If you need them to come in and shoot, they're going to hit on twos because they hit on freeze base. And between all of those shots, they're going to pick up five Marines, uh, five men of, of something. They might pop a transport. They might not. Um, but between grenades and a melter mine, you have pretty good odds of killing 12-wind vehicle, 10-wind vehicle, especially 10-wind vehicle. Yeah, they seem really awesome. I mean, that was you were talking for I don't know, three minutes straight about just one unit and all the different things they can do OG2 coming out of it. One of the things I really love about that is that fight against guard, you know, I kill those cats and I kill whatever cheap stuff they have, and then I, like, take the objectives. And then they come back to life, and it's really annoying, and they shoot me, and if they hit that YOLO 9, that stupid YOLO 9 that you're willing to spend a CP on, they, my objective's gone. You know, that, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I can definitely see how it's coming together, right? You have the midfield elements from all these Kazakhan and their chimeras, and you have uh, the manticores and this, this tank commander. What is the full list? Like, if you had to read it top to bottom, and then we'll go through kind of how it works and comes together. Yeah, so by, I guess, the list that I've been running previously and how it's changed post-late, because there's been very limited, uh, little changes, I'll say what it is currently post-late. It's, so my list is currently two tank commanders, uh, with a Demolisher, a Last Cunning, two Plasmas, a Heavy Stubber, and a uh, Hunter Killer each. Um, they, <coughs> pardon me, then it's Leontus, good old horse boy. Um, we have Creed, 
Then we have a command squad with grand strategists, so they can give an additional order. With a mortar, they have a banner, and they have a master vox, so I can order 24 inches when I order, when I attach them to Leontus, which is uh, very important. Then for my battle line troops, I have one squad of catachans that attaches with those units. A good thing about guard uh, battle line units is that you can have two units attached to them, two officer units attached to them, which is quite good. Um, then you have your other data sheets. I have two units of six Borgren, good old chunky boys, uh, three units of Kasakin. I have three Manticores, two Scout Sentinels, and I think I think that's the list. Two tank commanders, three Manticores, thirty Kasakin, and Torox, as you said, or was it Chimeras? Uh, no, 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 no Chimeras. Just walking no around. They're just, just walking walking around. around. just walking nice. around. Just walking around. Two Scout Sentinels. Yeah. Sentinels. Yeah, a so how, how does it all deliver itself? Like if Kasserkin are just walking around, aren't they six-inch moving infantry? I, mean, I guess nine-inch moving infantry, but that's still like not that fast, right? See, you would think that, right? But they're deceptively fast. So when you factor in this, because Kasserkin scout move, as I mentioned before. So what they do is when you end up, you end up scout moving. So you, you know, so you scout move six. So you have six inches in heavy DZ. Then what you can do is you order them for plus three move. So then they move another nine. So all of a sudden they've moved 15 inches. That's going to make every any single midboard objective just full stop uh, when they move 15. And then between that and moving the Borgren up, because you, because the cast can order themselves, it means it's not taking orders from your command structure. If your tank commanders are not shooting turn one, which usually they don't, they just move forward, um, control pieces of the board, and then uh, if they die, threaten a sheet on death. You have your Borgren that move nine plus D6 when you're on advance. You have Kasakin that are moving 15 plus D6 if, you, if you're not shooting anything. And all of a sudden, you'll end up controlling. And then you have two units, and you have two one man scout sentinels, which move scout move nine and then move 10. So your list ends up being deceptively fast. And the best part about it is when people, when you start to trade your resources, like your Kasakin and your scout sentinels, and you bring them back to life, they end up coming from strat reserves. They, they, from turn three, they delivered anywhere uh, uh, from a board edge. And it's true, and then screening the backfield gets really challenging as the game gets longer and longer. Exactly, because they're losing gas heads to the tank commanders. They're brawling in the midboard with Borgren to stop you from maxing primary. They are taking manticore fire that's worst case hitting on freeze. Realistically hitting I'm, on two. I'm seeing it come together. That's, this is a really interesting strategy. One thing I find so fascinating about it is that you don't bring any of the scions or deep striking elements that naturally come in. I feel like with your indirect fire, you can shell screens and things and then, you know, open up those holes. And yeah. much like your caster can, like, just go deeper on that strategy. Yeah, you know? yeah. I've, I've, I've had multiple games where I will willingly sacrifice a tank commander, move them in a, in a position where if, my, if it dies, because this tank commander ability specifically says it shoots on full profile, so it will hit on fours, and if you've given it an order, because it gives it plus one ballistic skill, it hit on freeze. So when it shoots on death, it shoots all of its weapons on freeze. So all of a sudden, you have, you're taking a shooting phase in your shooting phase. And then so you'll be, you're able to open up screens that way. I've had multiple times where I've willingly sacrificed a squad of Kasakin to clear, like, to clear, like a, a five-man squad, just trade down on points and just spend two CP to bring it back. Because next turn, they can't screen that, that part of the board. And I've just brought that unit at that side of the board. And just be like, okay, I've essentially spent two CP to move it here, but you don't have that resource and that you don't have that you don't control that part of the board anymore. 
So they say Warhammer is won and lost in the movement phase. And by they, I mean I. I say that. <laughs> so obviously you described yourself as a shooting player and you like you loved your range attacks. But what you're describing to me right now is like sacrificing firepower, making trade downs with your firepower to open up opportunities for movement. And I think that's a really underappreciated skill and one that I think is critical to succeeding as an Astro military player or just a shooting player in general, right? Like it's really easy to think of shooting as just table your opponent and that's your win condition. But when tabling your opponent may not be viable as a strategy, whether it's the profiles lining up or the terrain placement or the list your opponent has in the matchup, like how do you then as a shooting player manipulate your your mobility plus your range firepower to create a movement based game. Yeah, so what so there's a few things I try to identify when I'm playing playing this game, right? It's like one, can I just brute force my way through my opponent? Sometimes the answer is yes. Uh, so you know the answer is just move forward. Let the, let them take their pound of flesh and then those are the games them. you like, right? <laughs> yeah, those are the games I love. I'm just those are the games where I'm done in like 40 minutes. Those are great. I'm like, cool, you've killed uh, a thousand points of my army, but the score is 100 to 27. Who cares? Um, those are the those are the best games. Um, but those are not the games where what what, what we're here for. The, the games that we're here for is the ones where you're playing with someone and they identify that they need to essentially die in the midboard, control a, a sector of the board. So what? Usually, I find that I, that, I, that I need to establish what I need to do is I need to establish my foothold is I need to identify, can they reach my backfield? No. Okay, perfect. Can they reach my side objective? Yes. Okay, how can I stop them from reaching my side objective? I need to shoot three manticores into a five-man marine unit over there because that's the, that's the only thing that can threaten it at this moment in time, which means I guarantee five primary. Now, I could go for the big scary monster and probably kill it with a big scary vehicle and probably kill it, but let's kill these five marines we're not we're not trading up a massive value, but we're t- we're going to take control of this side of the board. Cool. I've got a scout sentinel behind this wall. I've got a Bulgrins holding the objective for the rest of the game. Where I've got ten Kasakins or whatever there. That's my side of the board. I've established that foothold, and then it's it's I guess for the traditional sense, it's trench warfare on foot. It's trading resources, no matter because God doesn't trade in points. It trades in CP. Is 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 one thing that I've noticed. It trades its value in CP. Um, you never realistically bring back scout sentinels, so you're using your points. Uh, uh, so you're using your caskin and your CP, and you're being religiously strict on it, so that you give yourself an opportunity to always bring back a caskin squad. So ideally, what you're going to want to do is like usually if it's turn two or turn three, because you have some caskin in reserves, because either they've died or you've deployed them into reserve or whichever, you're going to bring in multiple caskin squads in at once. And you're going to have one Kasakin squad that's going to help clear that side of the board that I was mentioning for you before. So they're not going to die next turn. And then the other squad that's commencing the attack with the Manticores and potentially Tank Commander or Borgren on the other side. And you know you're going to lose that squad, which then you spend your CP to bring them back. And then next time they do it again with another squad plus the Manticores. All whilst you've, con- you've won the fight on one side of the board and your Manticores are helping you shield this one side of the board with the Kasakin, with the tank commander, plus of whatever resources you have there. And you're really playing, I'm going to try and take control of, of a sector of the board and then move on to the next. I love the way you put that. Basically, you're using your Manticore firepower, your Luminous firepower, whatever, to own sections of the table to allow yourself breathing room and then kind of tighten that noose as the game goes on so your opponent only has so much acceptable space that they can occupy safely. How do mm-hmm. you balance 
that as a strategy point, you know, like clearing space, shooting those intercessors versus shooting that big scary tank or monster, like you said, like obviously your opponent could kill you if that monster tank connects with you and things like that. So if they're trying to get that to happen from their perspective, connecting with that tank, how do you prioritize something else? Yeah, so I guess at that point, it's essentially identifying is, can that, I guess for like, can that avatar of Kane push my shit in next turn? No, okay, cool, let's ignore it. Can this avatar of Kane push my shit in next turn? Oh, yes, it can. Can we kill it? Maybe, but killing this is, is worth more because this is guaranteed points to this potential. Um, so, okay, what's the next plan? Move block it. So instead of it moving advance and then moving another whatever with like with a fire and fade sacrifice a tank commander it's stuck here your tank commander is going to die it's a shame but it's over here and the next thing you can move block it again and start to whittle it down whilst you've controlled that side of the board so how did you come up with this army strategy i mean it sounds so simple right when you talk about how you shoot them in bandit cores and you play midfield with cats kazakins and come back to life but this has been around for months and months and months and months, and no one's really been talking about it. No one's really been playing it. I know some players who've been playing Astromel Terum will, will be familiar with the style, and it's not reinventing the wheel. However, this is not something that has been storming the meta, and it's not something that has been very talked about in the competitive circles pretty much at all until recently. So why this sudden upsurge? Uh, why did I stop playing God? I think, so I had a... You, you probably appreciate this, Nick. I had a uh, an epiphany after after Worlds. <laughs> Talk to uh, me about that. How was your World <laughs> Championships experience? Oh God, I loved everyone that I did like that I met there. It was great. One of the best events I've ever been to. So I think second to WTC. Uh, but I wasn't overly happy with my performance because I was mainly frustrated at myself for the fact that I know I can do better. However, I may not have taken it as seriously as I should have. I may not have like done as well as I should have, but those are all excuses at the end of the day, and excuses are not befitting for champions. So we're not going to make those. Um, I do appreciate that attitude. I do. So the like I had a great experience there, but what came what came learning from it is the fact that I need to understand the meta, and not just understand and know what's good in the meta, but I need to actually understand what's in the meta. Why it's good? Why 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 everything's doing this, like why it's working a certain way? And I need to come up not with just a counter strategy to it, but I need to come up with a list that's not only going to give me a game into the meta, essentially, and where I can leverage my player skill, but I need a list that is going to shake things up, right? And I took a lot of inspiration. Be really favorable into the meta armies. Yeah, exactly. Or the, or the worst case, right? Give them a game. You, you, like, give them a game if you go first or if you go second. I think with my guard list so far, because I've taken it to three events, I have gone first three times out of 15 games. Therefore, it's pretty close to average. Yeah, tell me about it, God. <laughs> Life would be simpler. Uh, but it's not the case. Uh, it's, 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 it's not the case. Um, so I came, uh, uh, like, I, I think because my first game of Worlds, Ended up losing to Astro Militarum, and I was like, okay, I could have played this probably a little bit differently. A few things maybe didn't go my way that I needed to, but the way this list, this Astro Militarum list is structured, works really well. I like it all synergizes together. But that wasn't the nail in the coffin for me. It was when I went to Leicester 
my first event after Worlds, I think a week and a half after Worlds, two weeks after Worlds, and I took World Eaters and I played this Astro Militarum, and I was just like, again, this army, and I was like, it's it's actually it, it has it has all of the tools because like I own God, I I know God, I practice God for last of BTC for a little bit. I read the index, I was like, yeah, this list. Well, just index is just very unassuming because everybody knows oh the indirect list uh, that Scott took the WCD, the, 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 he took WTC and performed really well with it. I think he was the highest scorer. Um, but the indirect list got nerfed, so people just moved away from God. And I was and, and I thought to myself, this index has so much flexibility in what it can do. Um, it has the indirect, it has the durable infantry, it has the good direct shooting, it has all of the essentially Lehman Ross profiles for whatever you need in the meta. If you, if there's free wind infantry everywhere, that's hyper elite. You have an executioner. Oh, there's loads and loads of vehicles. There's tank commanders with, with demolishers. Um, there's close combat people in transports. You have indirect. Kill it. You know, pop it there and demek them. Um, so I, I thought to myself, I was like, okay, this has a lot of essentially... It's a it's a very toolboxily. I guess for lack of a better phrase, it's a very toolbox-like index where you're able to craft whatever kind of list you need in a list-building stage and take that into a list. So my approach was, let's take an all-comers list. Let's take something that maybe don't doesn't all synergize amazingly well, but they're all good profiles. They can all hold their own. Each unit here can hold its own, but. Because they can all hold, it, hold their own, they can somewhat work together, even though uh, they you know, don't work together through abilities. They work through, with, uh, with each other through the strength of data sheets and through the strength of what's currently good in the meta. Nice. I really love that answer. Basically, learn your lesson from worlds, really understand the meta and kind of counterbuild for it. And it's easy to kind of look at the meta when it's known. You know, obviously Eldar and CSM with Necrons on the rise, as you pointed out, were very good. But right after this balance, it's like there's a huge shakeup, right? There's so many different armies to consider. How do mm-hmm. you necessarily begin that process of, of figuring out what the meta looks like, you know, so close after a balance data slate? So I guess my approach of because I'm still analyzing it now, right? I'm still having talks with members from from Team England, from my friends at Ignite, just with a whole range of people still coming to essentially understand what's really changed, what's really been affected, what's really been hit hard, what's really not been that hit hard, what's been buffed, but has the buffs been enough? Have the nerfs been enough? Um, and it'd be arrogant to say that I've got it all figured out. I don't. 100% I don't. Um, but we can take the previous meta as uh, somewhat of a, I guess you could say, as a chart and be like, these are all of the army's power levels. This is what's outwardly been buffed, this is what outwardly has been nerfed, how critical were those buffs and nerfs to each army, and then applying the rules after that to to it, I guess, is the way to approach it, and it's the way that I'm trying to approach it. Because outwardly, when you think about it, points-wise, Custodies, for example, didn't get you know too much of a buff, they've got essentially like 50 more points, um, so which is like another model. However, when you think about it in comparison to what's been nerfed in the game, and how they've been buffed, and how some of the rule changes, such as changes ignore modifiers, all of a sudden you start to think, okay, Catan's very good in the meta. Ignore modifiers got buffed. Okay, that's actually enough to Catan's. That's enough to a lot of Necroness people taking Catan's. Oh, that means armies like Sisters and Ironstorm and Custodies 
actually end up doing better into those, those sort of armies. And that's just, I guess, one way of processing and really analyzing it. I love that approach. I think it's a, it's a great technique. And honestly, it comes down to just talking to your teammates and having that kind of bounce back and forth. It's an ongoing process analyzing the meta. And that's really the truth to it. So I got just a couple more questions because I'm very eager to see what you think the meta is, which is going to be what we're talking about in part two and kind of like how you approach those games and matchups and, you know, moves mm -hmm. you make on the table and things like that. But before we get there, what about your secondary game with this army? Are you doing tactical most? Or are you looking for fixed? So the beauty of it is that you can take either. Uh, you have the benefit of taking fixed because, um, you know, Leontis gives you that additional CP, so you're not reliant on cards for the extra CP, which is, uh, you know, hypercritical. Um, but I believe, more, more, like, I think I've always gone tactical with the exception of playing these Chaos Knights where, you know, well, these Chaos Knights will be the Marine with loads of vehicle lists, like the Oops 10 vehicles. Um, like Tau, things like that. Yeah, exactly, right? Like where armies where, you know, it's like, I'm going to score just 20 by bring it on, bring it down by just playing the game. Let's just take bring it down and have one of our idiot units do an action in the middle every now and then. Um, but apart from that, it's tactical. Um, yeah. And, that's, and when you when you think about it, tactical is really good when you score those cards because your opponent can't plan for it. They can't have a game plan to counter it. They can't be like, oh, what if they draw cleanse and homers? Oh, they've scored eight points this turn. Okay, this is not good. My fixed cards are only giving me free this turn. Right. And do you find getting that control and tempo is important where you have to get your opponent forced to come and stop yes. from winning? Yes, 100%. Because, and, and that's why you want the speed with the guard. You want all of the scouting units that actually are quite good. Is because majority of the cards are scored in the midboard. Um, the only object, the only one that you can do in your on DZ is um, one investigate signal or two. Um, and defend. Apart from that, majority of the cards are scored in no man's land, with the exception of capture enemy outpost, behind enemy lines, and I think those are the and like storm hostile. But storm like, but, but I think it's mainly just those two cards. All the other cards you can score by being in the midboard and having a presence in the midboard and having a strong enough presence in the midboard. Essentially, how strong your presence in the mid is in the midboard and how much OC you have in the midboard, which is what God is really good at is going to determine how well you score your cards. So there's a lot of points to be gained from tactical cards based on getting behind your opponent. Capture enemy outposts, deploy homers ends up being five points behind enemy lines, investigate signals. Mm -hmm. Do you prioritize that? Like clearing screens can get back there or is that like uh, if we come to it as we get there? So a lot of it depends on the turns, right? Because what I find is from Turn three to four, there's no card in a game that I can't score. Um, because I would have picked up my opponent from a, 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 a certain part of the board. Um, turn one, you know, if if you like, most people are not going to score capture enemy outpost. Opportunistic, right? Like, you yeah, know, exactly. draw capture enemy outpost one. You, that yeah, it's like, it is it's it is what it is. It's, it's, it's like, okay. But sometimes it, it, it can be like turn three and I'm like, capture enemy outpost. Yeah, I can do that. Nice. So if you had any piece of advice to give an aspiring Warhammer player, whether it's an Astro Military player trying to pilot this list or just a person trying to get better, what would that be? Oh, I feel like no, that's a single piece of advice. Oh, I'd say have a real house of armies, like two to three, basically three, right? With similar but different play styles. I just play them a lot. 
Just understand those. Play really. them games. Play them games. It's just reps. Awesome. You know, you know about it, Nick. Just play those games and play those games. You'll, you'll, you'll get better. Nas, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you. Love your Astro Military thoughts. I'm so excited to talk to you in part two, where we're going to talk about your actual matchups and your approach to these individual games. I'm still not seeing how this is the new menace of S tier, but that is what we are here to find out <laughs> in part two. Tell me how these Astro Militarum are going to beat those Necrons. I'm curious. The listeners are curious. Listeners, you can find out on patreon.com slash AOW40K.com. Six bucks a month you get access to this episode along with so, so many others and our amazing Discord server. We'll see you there. Nas, thanks so much for coming on. We'll catch My you My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. Thank you.